And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co host, Tim and Rich. How we doing? Doing well, Jordan. I want to start off with an apology um, because <laughs> the other day you uh, put such uh, thoughtful tweets out into the world, which not everybody takes the time to do, by the way. Most people don't, but you do. And we're trying to inform people what was going on with the Rams and their coaching situation, which I know we're going to get into a little bit later. A series of thoughtful tweets, Jordan. And the very first comments after them <laughs> was... When are the new uniforms getting released? And I feel responsible for that. And I apologize to you, Jordan. Um, I don't know. Just to to get it uh, out there uh, uh, off the top, the Rams are getting new uniforms. They've been promised to us for years now. This this next set, this final set in this this sequence or whatever. Um, I think we'll find out something pretty soon. Uh, Maybe not by the draft, but soon. Jordan, does it keep you awake at night thinking what they might be? You know what? That does not keep me awake at night. Yeah. Something uniform related does keep me awake at night. Okay. And I can't tell you what it is, but I would advise that you send some text messages. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or go on vacation. I I swore I wouldn't tell you. I swore I wouldn't tell you because this is your beat, Rich. This is your moment and your beat. And yeah. and I believe that you will uncover, uh, you will be be able to uncover the the info that is uh, yes. that is so pressing. But I I think too, it's funny because I I always get a chuckle because your brand is strong, Rich. I think that yeah. that's I think that that's needs to be said is your brand is strong, and I think people certainly, I mean, they obviously come to you for all kinds of football knowledge and also hockey knowledge now, as you're editing a bunch of great writers with the Athletic. Um, on, on a variety of hockey verticals, including some Southern California ones. But also, like, you stay plugged in with, with Rams happenings. And I can't tell you, you, you apologize, but I'm telling you earnestly, it does brighten my day every time I see you <laughs> pop into a thread because I just know what's about to happen and it's about to tickle me. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jordan. All, all I will say to that is uh, choose your brand carefully. That's uh, That would be my <laughs> advice to people. Um, commit to it, but choose it carefully. But no, we, we have a lot of fun with that. I'm excited to see what, what's going on. And you know somebody else who's very interested in this, Jordan, that I learned the other day, Bobby Wagner. Yes. Bobby Wagner, very, very uh, interested in what the Rams are going to do with their uniforms is, in fact, uh, uh, lobbying, I think, is not too strong of a word for the for the black uniforms that apparently he tried to get uh, in Seattle and and was not successful in getting. So I don't know. Maybe people might turn on Bobby Wagner pretty quick here if if he's successful in uh, getting those uh, black jerseys. But but Jordan, you did have a all all joking aside, all all of our shenanigans aside. uh, 
you, you did have a chance to uh, speak to Bobby Wagner uh, after his big signing. We talked about that in our last podcast episode, what that meant for the Rams. But for the first time, uh, you got a chance to talk to him and and maybe to uh, get his insight on on how this all went down, how he's going to fit in with the Rams, where he's going to fit in with the Rams. These are all very important questions. So what what were your takeaways from uh, from from being able to talk about uh, Bobby for the first time? Yeah, it's important to remember that it was like March 11th or like March 13th. Some, it was very, very early in, in March when Bobby Wagner got released. And one thing that I learned that was very cool, I knew at the time and had reported at the time that the Rams had expressed interest in Bobby Wagner. Um, I know there was some stuff on some of the morning shows earlier this week about how the Rams were simply reacting to Tom Brady coming back out of retirement. And that's why they (laughs) went and got Bobby Wagner. But that is actually, to me, that's not the situation at all because they expressed interest in Bobby like a week before Tom Brady unretired. So, um, you know, this is a a player edition that we've talked about on this last podcast, podcast, Rich, um, about what he can add schematically. And we'll get a little bit further into that after I've had some conversations with a couple of coaches, including Sean McVay um, and and uh, with Les Snead as well. This yeah. this is, a, is an addition that I think helps them in a lot of different ways, but it's going to also demand some creativity in, in some of the ways that they um, sort of maximize his skill set, which is prodigious, but also continue to um, elongate his career as it has been so illustrious already. But one of the things that really, really was interesting to me right off the bat was that like the second the news broke and you know that and you know that Jalen Ramsey has Schefter notifications turned on because he just <laughs> has to be involved. Like he's so it's awesome. Because, and, and Sean McVay actually in public now and in private calls him GM Ramsey like the. <laughs> you know that he just has to be involved in this and and fair right. point because he's been successfully recruiting players to come to Los Angeles for a couple of years now and it's really worked out for him um but you just know he has those notifications turned on so like the second that uh that Bobby was it was sort of put out there that Bobby was about to be released by Seattle which there Bobby later said was a miscommunication that he did not even receive a phone call like he he assumed something was coming but he never received that phone call saying hey man we're going to release you and then so it's out there on Twitter and literally right as that's happening Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are texting Bobby Wagner trying to get him to to come to LA and like opening that dialogue and i thought that was really cool for a couple of reasons one it further reiterates that <laughs> Aaron Donald a while ago told Sean McVay that he would be returning to Los Angeles, which we know, which I reported from league meetings and have been reporting through this entire offseason, and that, yes, there was a decision to make, and some of it's going to come down to what they can work out with him contractually, and they have those that those numbers outlined right now um, so that they can continue to navigate through free agency and through the offseason, but also – Like he had a personal family decision to make and had to get away a little bit with his family in Pittsburgh and spend some time with them and really evaluate his his options. But him texting Bobby Wagner, great sign for the Rams uh, for for a variety of reasons. And then Jalen Ramsey, you know, texting to open that dialogue. And you could just tell that it just tickled Bobby Wagner to death. Like he just was so he's like. This is cool. You know, he he basically I'm paraphrasing him, but he, he's telling us, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like when two future Hall of Famers are are texting you, telling you that you they want you to come to their team. Hmm. But of course, then Bobby was saying because he represents himself, he had to make sure that he separated the emotion of the moment from 
going into agent mode and really negotiating this deal um, for himself, which I just want to say off the bat is one of the most impressive things I think a player can do regardless of their status in the league. Because you, what a lot of people don't know is how winding and not straightforward this process is and how many moving parts there are. And you look at his contract and you look at the, some of the incentives and you look at some of the baseline numbers and you look at, at everything and, and do, like, dude, I need help balancing my very simple poor person taxes. Yes. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm in like a low bracket and I, <laughs> and I need help balancing those taxes. Right. And, yes. and so I can't even imagine someone doing, he's doing this himself. And I can't, I, I want to say that first and foremost, that not only Rich, what stood out to me, not only is he having to deal with the emotions of being cut in this way by a team that he had been with for the past decade, um, but also like he now is representing himself in free agency for the literally the first time, essentially. He's negotiated his own contracts with Seattle, but on the open market, doing that and going through that process, of course he was going to take his time. And Les Snead told me that this is – something that was really important to them, that he knew that their interests would not waver in him, but that they also wanted him to take his time. And they expressed that to him, want to make sure he took his time evaluating his options and make his decision on his time, not necessarily theirs, and that their interests would not waver. And and they were very public about that through the entire process. Yeah. And, you know, Jordan, you mentioned I have some background with the NHL. I, I know a couple guys who uh, negotiated their own deals in the NHL. And, and even that was uh, somewhat remarkable to me. But but that's a pretty straightforward thing in the NHL. It's it's a hard capped league. Uh, it's pretty straightforward in terms of the types of deals that you sign. I look at some of the stuff in the NFL and I'm like, how would you even, where would you even start? Yeah, uh, all like, the different, th- especially with a team like the Rams, who's yes. so creative uh, in the things that they do. And where's that, you know, what type of money is that? going to be and how is it going to be spread out through these five years or what i cannot even imagine having to to negotiate that or having to navigate that is the word i meant uh but uh, kudos to bobby wagner for taking that time like you said jordan to, to work through it yeah and if i could also just like think about this and i want everyone to sort of listeners sort of like close your eyes and think about this almost like reverse engineer this the negotiation and the conversation that it takes to get to this point, it's not a straightforward deal. Right. So this is – so the, my understanding of this contract, so yes, it has a five-year five, five year framework, but it's not as simple as that. So the functional part of the contract, um, the immediate part of the contract, the working, the working money essentially is right. what we're talking about. It's a two-year deal worth $17.5 million with up to $23.5 million more in earning potential via incentives, $10 million in guaranteed money, and $6.5 million in cash the first year, and also allows for a renegotiation between Bobby and the Rams after the first two seasons. That's a mutual agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about that. Think about all those things that I just said, and imagine, pull that apart um, in, your, in your mind, <laughs> and... Think about what it takes to get to just that one sentence that I just said. Oh, yeah. No. Like, I, there are, I, I, there are, I'm already lost. There yeah. are 15, <laughs> at least 15 different variables that have to happen just in that one sentence that I just read, including a large swath of incentives, 
um, worth $23.5 million. Now, his cap number this year is only $2.5 million. So again, getting to that point, but then also negotiating the cash, also negotiating the guaranteed money, the incentives, each are very specific and their own separate entity that you negotiate through. Um, and then also putting in the clause that you and the team can reopen this conversation after two years. I mean, right. this... This is not this is not a simple thing to do and and I no. think that you you see this wave now a little bit more so than ever before of player empowerment in terms of them being able to um vocally p- and, and sort of demand where they want to be and vocally make it clear what they want and and how they how they expect to um find a space that makes them feel good that they want to play in um that's you know that's a winning culture and all this stuff but the next level to that is people doing this by themselves without sort of the the guy who you know the, an agent would would you know have to go through a long process and pass a certification and all of these types of things right. but but deciding to do that autonomously i mean I got to tell you, like, no wonder he he was hurt by the fact that he says he, you know, he didn't get a phone call because right. they he'd, he'd been there for 10 years. Like, they were well aware that he represents himself. They'd done extensions with him as he represents himself. Right. You know, those don't just happen simply either. That, that requires a conversation. Anytime he would have had to restructure, that requires a conversation. So that's an open line of dialogue. And it's, it's like, no wonder he felt hurt by that. But then going through all of this and then... It, having to separate that part of what he's feeling to you know from the the fact that he's got to get through all of these decisions and and it's not just one offer you know he was visiting the ravens and they offered him more money than the rams did right. um and, and so to me this whole process is so fascinating and and really just so impressive and i think that was one thing too that the rams really took to and were really impressed by they've been sort of pining over bobby wagner for the better part of 12 years at this yeah. point mm-hmm. and so they they've they've really wanted to um make this relationship work and and because they've seen they've seen how good he is and they've seen how impactful he is but i think getting him in the building and talking to him about this entire process i think that just really solidified everything that they thought of and more of him because of how he carried himself through this process. And also like after he visited the Rams, I was texting with a couple people in, in the organization and they were like, yeah, we think it's going to get done. Like it was really positive. It was, they they kind of were like, it was a love fest almost like they kind of were just like really excited and talking to each other as the whole, the whole staff's in there and they're talking about scheme and everything. And, um, but at the same time, okay, man, yes, go visit the Ravens, make your decision the way you need to make it, you know, figure your, your stuff out and we'll still be here when you get back. That's right. something too, you, you take a little bit of a risk there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this process was really interesting because it, this is very different than how these things usually go. And I think on both sides, from the player perspective and also from the team perspective, you kind of got a peek at how things can be. Um, if people aren't dicks to each other, essentially, first of right. all, and right. second of all, right. uh, as so many people are in this league, and second of all, um, when people are given the space to sort of explore what's right for them, like like Bobby Wagner did. Yeah, it, it's it's a super interesting um, kind of phenomenon. Not not something new, by the way, but maybe uh, newer in the in the NH and NFL, as I was going to say. NHL. Um, yeah, I, I do that a lot, um, but uh, uh, I type it a lot too. That's the other problem, but. 
um, you know, the other interesting thing is that, you, you know, you can talk about your, your individual priorities and things like that, but also a lot of it is, and I, and, you know, players feel this to some extent too, but agents certainly feel it is that obligation to your next client or to your, the next generation to where, you know, when you're negotiating these deals, you're not only thinking about that player, but you're thinking about, well, what is that going to mean for my next player? What is that going to mean for the, the next round of draft picks or, or whatever? So, um, you know, I think players feel that to some extent too. They're, they are, you know, even though they're on different teams, they're still a team. They like to see, uh, everybody get elevated and those salaries uh, get up as high as they can. And, you know, you see it, I see Jalen Ramsey sometimes, you know, even when players on other teams get, get a big deal, you know, he's, he's cheerleading for him. He's happy for them. So, uh, there's a little bit of an obligation there. I think agents feel it more, uh, than, than players do because they're constantly trying to push that as high as they can. But, uh, it can be a conflicting interest sometimes. Uh, sometimes fans think, well, why don't they just take less money? Why don't they just, you know, for the good of the team, why don't they just take a little bit less money? And it's like, okay, like even even if a player might have that instinct, there's also that competing interest of, hey, you want to do for the greater good. You want to, you want to push that salary as high as you can so that your your next pal, your next brother is going to come along and, and you know, fill that up and, and, and push it even higher. So it really is like a, a brotherhood for those guys. In, in a lot of ways, the, the way that they approach that. So interesting, the way that uh, that, that Bobby Wagner might have, uh, you know, kind of balanced those those kind of issues too. Dude, when I go through a breakup, I'm 17 pints of uh, dairy free ice cream deep for for many many days. So right. I'm not really sure how he did this. To be honest, yeah, with you. you you have to. I mean, to to put on that business hat right away. Uh, I know. Imagine, it, yeah. imagine, like, like, imagine. Okay, now you negotiate your next paycheck for the next two years, and it's worth millions and millions of dollars. But also. Right. Like your head is spinning because uh, of all of these things that have had, and you have to move states. And I mean, it's just really impressive to me. And I think, you know, the, the you just like I, I've known, I've known Bobby about Bobby Wagner and, and heard players talk about him for years and years and years. And I said this on the last podcast. I talked with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis about him all the time yeah. when I was in Carolina. And it was like kids talking about superheroes when they were talking about him. <laughs> and then when you hear and then when you hear Les Snead talk about this guy, like again, it's like a kid talking about a superhero. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's so it's so interesting. Like this, he has loomed so large in terms of um you know, his effect on the game, but then also his effect on kind of the Rams and how they've sort of unlearned certain things throughout the course of, of their last decade. Um, and, and especially at Les Snead's scouting department, um, kind of, you know, as a personnel process, the Rams are, are basically like, listen, we're not, we're not going to have a, a linebacker like Bobby Wagner. Um, and if you're not up to that caliber or you're not sort of in that sphere that he's in, that hemisphere that he's in talent-wise, we don't feel a need to invest in the position. Yeah. And and that's what they've done with, especially under Sean McVay, it, like they've sort of had that position be um, one of their less so fi f lesser financial in investments so that they can continue to feed sort of the core contracts. And you see this at safety and at inside linebacker, especially with them, and then at opposite corner as well. Um, these are the complementary players that need to play er on early contracts. And sometimes it's worked out very well for them, and sometimes it hasn't. Right. And with Ernest Jones, they, they, Lesney was telling me, like they literally channeled the traits that they saw in Bobby Wagner back when he was, you know, first kind of blossoming as a prospect and a player. 
and applied that to what they felt they were getting um, in Ernest Jones. Now, I'm not saying Ernest Jones is going to be uh, a future Hall of Famer. I think he's going to be a hell of a football player and already is. Right. But it's interesting to me how one player can have such a ripple effect on certain things that you do in, in your process. And now, you know, even to the point where, you know, that Les Snead was GM for like a month, right? And is making his, his trades back <laughs> in the in the 2012 draft. And they they think that maybe they can get Bobby Wagner with a later pick if they trade back. Well, they didn't. Obviously, Seattle took him just before the Rams were about to pick again. Right. And um, there's like this famous video clip of Jeff Fisher like slamming his hand on a table or something. And <laughs> everyone was very upset. Well, after that, they implemented the Bobby Wagner rule. Like literally, this yeah. is what it's called in their scouting yeah. department. Department. It's called the Bobby Wagner rule, where essentially, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, essentially like if you believe in a player and he's the right fit for you, push away all of the internal biases about where you think he should fall or where your intel believes he will fall right. um, and, and go get him. And so it's, it's really interesting. This is what... Uh, this is what Les Snead says. He says, we're always trying to determine where we would acquire a player and where we might strike. The vision's to get as many good players as we want as possible. You're always trying to handicap that. So they're always, it, it, regardless of where they pick, they're always trying to figure out where players fall. That's a part of the draft process. Sure. He says, I do think it gets a little bit tougher when we start getting into the late second, third rounds to truly handicap that. If you really like a player, and this is the Bobby Rag Wagner rule, if you really like a player and you're going to really, really lose sleep and toss and turn over losing that player, go ahead and pick that player versus trading back to acquire more picks or handicap that you might get him with the following pick. Go for the sure thing, the thing you feel sure of versus the thing that might happen. And you guys, this is like one of the coolest little – I, you know I love this stuff, Rich. Like when things like – Patterns right. emerge and and things come full. This happened with Cooper Cup. They I was just going to say, like, what what's the first name that comes to mind when you think of that? And for it's me, it's so Cooper cool. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool that this rule now they have this guy right, but then they they took a, a loss that they suffered or like a a guy that they missed on and like very badly missed on because he becomes an all you know an all decade player. Um, and they applied it to their own process, and then they applied it when they were scouting Cooper Cup. And, and I've written right. so much about all the things that they did um, that ran counter to the to the norm and to convention when they were scouting Cooper Cup. But one of them was this rule was applying this rule, and so you know Cooper Cup was the the 69th pick in what 2017, right? And he famously fell in the draft because of his slow 40 yard dash time in the Rams. As as I've written about a lot, is like they were studying his GPS data instead of his straight line speed. And so they felt that other teams would be too focused on that straight line speed, particularly with the so, sort of the speed of the receivers in that class, um, and that Cooper would fall. And he started dropping and dropping and dropping. And I think if you were going to go redraft now, Cooper Cup would be a first round pick, right? But oh, sure. now, but now, but back back then, people are, uh, you know, he's he's kind of in this free fall. Mm-hmm. So. Les Snead and the Rams, they're sitting there at pick number 69 and they're sitting there and they're like, do we take him? And and it was a, you know, an instantaneous decision. Yes, take him now instead of waiting or possibly trading back at that pick point, which, right. you know, that Les loves to do. Right. Um, so they go out and get him. And it's another room of coaches and coaching staff and GM and personnel that's losing their shit over missing this guy 
because right. John Harbaugh and the Ravens are a couple of picks away, and they were dead set on picking Cooper Cup at their pick point. I think it was like 74. Mm-hmm. And John Harbaugh talked to us when he spoke with um, LA reporters this past year before the um, the Rams both the Rams Ravens game. He told us the story about Cooper and how he was he was so furious that they couldn't get him because. The Rams just went for it instead of maybe trading back or um, or waiting for him to fall further because they believed that he was the right player for them. Right. And that is the Bobby Wagner rule. And now yeah. they have both of these guys on the roster, which just it's just <laughs> hilarious to me. Like, I just I don't know. I've, I'm probably, you know, over, you know, overreacting in terms of how great that is. But I just I love when patterns and, and things come full circle. And I just think this is one of those moments. Yeah, uh, you know, ten years later too. I mean, it doesn't. It wasn't something that just went away. Yeah. Uh, for Les, you know, Les Snead very bitterly, dryly says, "Yeah, like a thousand tackles later, we finally get Bobby Wagner." <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a neat story, though, and uh, you know, it's, it's going to be big. And and Jordan, you you mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, we're we're going to see how this how this looks on the field, and and obviously uh, OTAs, uh, at least the very first phase, uh, starting up in about ten days, they won't actually get on the field and start doing football type activities um, for a little bit but it, it won't be long it won't be long Jordan <laughs> not to scare you but it won't be long before you're you're out there you know seeing these guys in action and how it all fits together so um, th- that'll be that'll be really interesting um, uh, to see looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24/7 us-based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
But Jordan, you know, just putting maybe Bobby in, in some context here, we're now almost a month into into this new league year, the, the free agency period. And, you know, maybe I mean, let's just keep the focus on the defense a little bit because that's that's obviously been the, the latest kind of round of, of change a little bit. Uh, so just setting the table, the Rams going out the door since the Super Bowl, uh, Von Miller, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, Darius Williams, Obo Okoronkwo. Those are four, uh, you know, fairly big names, uh, all contributors, most of them uh, regular starters when they've been um, healthy. Um, and obviously coming in, Bobby Wagner at, at a different position. So how does this kind of set the table for the Rams? I know that, Jordan, this is one question that you get that that re- we really can't answer. And I understand why it's asked all the time. People want to know, are the Rams done? Are, is there going to be anything else? And especially when you cover this team, that's the most dangerous question that you can get because you never know when something's going to happen, right? You're, you're not surprised at any point uh, when, when a trade is made or when a signing is made. They, they have kept us on our toes for, for a long time now. But uh, Jordan, kind of maybe we just set the table here. What, what is your kind of understanding going into the draft um, in, in terms of what they've done, in terms of what they might do, uh, or should we be looking purely ahead to the draft, or or is there anything else that, that might be coming down the pike? Well, in terms of their sort of marquee personnel decisions, I don't think they're done. I think that they are going to continue. Like it, it might be a quiet period right now as they focus um, very specifically on what they will do in the draft, so it might be a little bit quieter. And then you also are waiting for that um, I think it's like post May period. Maybe it's post June. If there's yeah. a period, there's a period of time where the comp pick formula uh, doesn't count anymore. So like, if there's right. a high profile veteran player who had a previous contract expire, who was not released but had a previous contract expire, um, you can bring him in at that point without affecting the comp pick formula. Now this is well after the draft and OTAs and all this stuff. So that's kind of when I think you can maybe see a spike in some of the exploratory aggression that we know um, this team operates with. But I think like, I I just don't think they're done in the sense that um, they still need depth at corner. In my opinion, now that's a position I think they will look for in the draft. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is a much higher chance uh, or probability of a player who is drafted with one of their third or fourth round picks um, in the draft who could contribute very early on at corner Mm-hmm. specifically versus someone who could make a huge difference over the guys they already have um, at edge rusher. So like I, what I'm basically saying is I think they're going to be very aggressive and still exploring opportunities to bring in an edge rusher. Right. Um, now we also know, and I talked to a bunch of these guys at, at league meetings about this. They don't really have a, a calendar limit. Like the trade deadline in November, that's their limit on when they can stop making this type of, of move or exploring what's possible. Right. And so I think they will continue to be very active in terms of pursuing what they might think is um, is a possibility there. And I think that player is more likely to come from a move like that than, or much more likely to come from a move like that than anybody who they would draft in the third or fourth round um, in this particular class. Now, that's not to say that they won't add in the draft at this position, but I think you're more likely with an early pick and this is why I mocked um, Cam Taylor Britt to them in the third round. I think you're more likely to find an early impact starter, someone who could play early on on a rookie contract, the way they're hoping Robert Rochelle can, um, the way right. that David David Long did at the end of the year last year. Um, someone who can really be an impact player for you 
in that regard early in the contract, um, I think you're more likely in this class specifically too to find that at corner. And, and usually, actually, I think you're more likely to find that at corner yeah. if you're not picking in the first or second round. Yeah. And so that's that's where I have them now um, in terms of those two positions of need. And um, I also like, but I also think that you know you can't really rule out additions to. They're, I think they're. I think they'll be done on offense. They might do like a couple of more lower tier signings. Like they still, you know, probably exploring whether to bring Sony Michelle back or not. Um, I right. do think. I do think they will draft a running back again. I think that's kind of going to be their their methodology now um, because they're not going to pay a running back. And I mm. think you do need sort of that steam engine type of running back um, along with Cam Akers and, and Daryl Henderson, who has um, both of them have had some injury issues. So if you don't bring back Sony, then you're probably looking for a running back similar to Sony in that um, right. sort of very solid downhill, powerful sort of heartbeat style of, of running. Um, so, but on the offensive side, I think that they're pretty much filled out in that regard. They've got basically a whole red shirt class that needs to still onboard because most of them were injured last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of people and, and not just, you know, in the skill positions also at on the offensive line, guys who need to step in and compete for a couple of positions and, and all of that. So I think they're pretty much done on offense. Now on defense, I don't think you rule out them adding there um, in any regard, whether it's the positions I mentioned before, whether they're looking to, um, you know, bring in another high caliber veteran who who's still looking for a home like you just you just cannot rule them out at this point in any in any of that regard no you you never can <laughs> but uh yeah I, I think the uh the the lines are, are drawn pretty clearly there it's it's just you you don't especially where the rams are, are picking and we know this this is not something new it's not uh, the first time that this has happened it's not the third time it's happened but you you can't go in when you when your first pick is number 104 you you really can't go into a draft saying we're going to target a certain position or we're going to look to fill these three positions at the start. There's so much that's going to happen and you have to be flexible and you might move up, you might move down. Uh, but but I, I think in, in general, we know the the, the landscape at, at least going in. And, and Jordan, just as I, I look at this, you, you mentioned your uh, your mock draft. Uh, for, for those who haven't seen it, it's got published on, on Wednesday. Um, so definitely go and, and check that out. Really good in, in-depth info. But Jordan, the one thing that just grabbed me a very a very small thing, a very simple thing, but but just looking at it, you you list all the picks and uh, eight eight draft picks, which people might think, wow, the Rams actually have eight eight draft picks. And then what are the uh, five of the first six compensatory 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 compensatory? They only <laughs> out of the out of the really out of the first six rounds, the only the only. I mean, they're all native picks, but but the only uh, kind of original pick or original list pick is is a fifth rounder, number one hundred and seventy five uh, overall. So, really speaks to kind of the gymnastics that they do, not only in in moving these picks, but but knowing that that Les Need and and Tony Pasteur's and all these guys like they this is part of the strategy. It's not by accident that they end up with five compensatory picks or or a happy coincidence. This is absolutely every year part of the calculus. Uh, 
in in these free agency moves that they make, uh, both going in and coming out uh, to to see that they'll be able to line up some of these. So you look at it and you say, wow, the Rams aren't drafting until number 104, but they've they've built uh, up five compensatory picks there in in from rounds three to six, um, and they've had some success there. So so yeah, Jordan, going through it, I, I want people to to read this too because you go in depth on some of these positions, but but you hit a lot of what we've talked about here. You, you've hit a, a cornerback who you mentioned, Cam Taylor Britt um, out of Nebraska. You've hit a running back. You've hit a safety. You've hit an edge rusher, uh, a little bit of uh, inside linebacker uh, depth there also. And even Jordan, and it wouldn't be an 11 personnel podcast if we didn't mention special teams. You have the Rams drafting a punter in a the punter. seventh round. Is that, is that going to happen? Are they going to they now? They've obviously we didn't mention they they signed Riley Dixon uh, uh, from from the New York Giants. So you certainly figure he's going to be uh, certainly going to be a factor there. But but do you see them bringing in a little bit of a, a competition uh, for Riley Dixon there? Yeah, I mean i I don't think they go in with him as the like secure. I mean, it was a one year deal, so that kind of tells you that they're going to have some competition. Um, I right. saw a lot of people. Uh, who were who were like, yeah, he was really, really good or really early in his career. And then he just kind of, um, you know, started just struggling a little bit and not not really sure why. And I was thinking to myself, do you think he was just tired? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding, Gi- right? He played for the Giants. Like, maybe he was just simply tired. It's a I lot think. of work. Yeah, I would be yeah. uh, quite exhausted at that point. But um, but yeah, he, he has some familiarity with Jody Camillus as well, um, which I think is important. Um, but I I think that they'll bring in competition and like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but man, this is a loaded punter class, (laughs) you know, like it's just, I mean, it's just really like it's, it really is. And, and, you know, you have, um, Matt Ariza, who's probably, um, going to be drafted in like the, maybe the fourth or fifth round. I think his ceiling for a team that was, is feeling really frisky is one one of those late third round comp picks. But then you, you think maybe this kid could really, the the punt God, he could literally maybe go, um, in the, in the fourth or fifth round. I got to tell you, though, I don't think the Rams will ever reach on this position. Um, right. It would really surprise me if they did draft him, um, Under you know, if he does continue to stay at, at that t- type of pick point. And I think part of it is, um, you know, they, they I don't under Joe Camillus Now, I've got a lot of lot of things to learn still about special teams, you guys. And you know that I embrace the journey and love the journey of that. <laughs> but but I got to say, I think they're not necessarily looking for maybe that really booming leg. I think that um, they had that in their camp already in Corey Barakwes, um, mm-hmm. and he was competing with Johnny Hecker, and Johnny Hecker wasn't necessarily booming punts, but at the same time, Johnny Hecker was still playing the precision game pretty well, and, and that hang time game that really kind of helped them establish some of their blocking constructs. That, to me, and especially with you know some of the the guys who have been had a year in the system and now are are going to re-enter um, and, and play more special teams for them this year, especially under Joe D. Camillus. I think that this is just my hunch. I think they're maybe looking for a little bit more of precision in that regard. And so that's why I mocked hmm. Jordan Stout, not just because he has a great first name, um, right. but I mocked Jordan Stout there because I, I think that he is kind of like that hang time guy. And, hmm. you know, that's not to take anything away from punt God. Cause again, he's the <laughs> punt God He's incredible. Like I watched those games this year late at night just like 
the because you know they're on so late and you could barely find the channel and you're you know you but but you're right. you're watching these guys just to watch this guy go to work. I mean it's inc- he's incredible. Right. Um, so not to take anything away from him, but I just don't think the Rams will reach at the position. I do think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a, a guy in the with these seventh round picks. They kind of have these picks stacked up. Um, I think there's an opportunity for them to have ten picks. If you're looking at two eleven and two twelve, those are good package picks um, mm-hmm. to maybe not pick one after another. You maybe trade back one of those at a certain point. But on the converse, um, if they really like a guy in the fifth round. I could see them packaging those together because they'll still have 218. I could see them packaging 211 and 212 together and jumping up earlier in, in the fifth round. Right. Um, they, they use one of those big chart formulas that, that teams all have, um, internal propriety of to figure out trade values. And it's never the ones that float around on the internet, but it's the Rams. I know I, I was working this last year, um, like trying to figure out trade values and such. And, was specifically told that they don't use the ones that I see floating around on the internet and they use one that they created themselves. And so I was like, all right, that's really not helpful to me at all, but thanks guys. <laughs> and so, um, so it's, you know, figuring out those values is just, um, like I say in my, in my lead here is a, a Sisyphean task in itself. But I think that this, this is going to be interesting because less, I think less is trigger finger gets a little itchy. Like he wants maybe 10 picks, not eight. Mm. But I also think that if the right guy drops, like they have to, like, it's, it's the Bobby Wagner rule, man, like go right. get him, you know? Right. And so I think, um, this draft is going to be really interesting. Certainly not on day one or day two, but, <laughs> um, or, you know, beginning of day two, but certainly day three will be fascinating for these guys. And, and yes, I do think that they could very well, uh, draft a punter. Now, again, if, if it's clear to them as they sort of like, like, they say handicap these positions and all of that. If it's clear to them that he, a punter of, of Jordan South's caliber is going to be available in their college free agency class. That's also a place where the Rams have been really strong for the last several years is finding those undrafted free agents. Alaric Jackson being one of those guys in in recent memory who very much stands out in that regard. Um, And I think that's also going to be something really important to watch as well. Yeah, it always is, and in, in, increasingly so. But yeah, Jordan, great point. I hadn't even looked at the numbers there, but but you look at it, and yeah, the the, the sixth round, they the the three picks that they have are all compensatory, like you said, two eleven, two twelve, two eighteen. Those are three. I mean, three picks uh, among eight is is a lot to, to to be bunched together. You kind of feel like that's probably not going to happen. And then uh, you look ahead to the uh, or. Uh, above to the fifth round, as you said, and and that's the round where they do have their only native pick, which obviously is at the very end of the round, because that's when you win the Super Bowl, that's what happens. And you're happy to take that. Uh, but <laughs> so they're, they're going to be sitting there for the entire fifth round. And that just feels like uh, that, that, that feels like a less need move. Like you said, yeah, Jordan. he'll get, he'll get gonna... a little antsy. He'll run out of uh, Topo yeah. Chico sparkling water. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he'll, his, uh, his trigger finger will get a little itchy at that point. I think. I believe so. So I believe you're right, but uh, yeah, it's it's super interesting, and obviously that's it, it's it'll be here before we know it. Uh, just just uh, about three more weeks, and and we'll be. Uh uh, talking about the draft, so we'll we'll be covering that uh, more on on uh, future episodes, and uh, uh, maybe have a guest in to to talk about some of that stuff. You never know; we might have some surprises in store. But yeah, but you you've got to you've got to get on it, Rich. You got to book this guy. Yeah, I, do I? We, you gotta. I'm not telling you. Maybe after the draft, but we, okay. we gotta. We gotta. We both know who we're talking about. We yeah, gotta. We gotta book this guy. I know. I know. And I'm. And and like I said at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> I have stepped away fully. I am not a part of it. No. This no, is no, your no. beat. And no, we're you, in this together, Jordan. We, we're, <laughs> <laughs>
I will never leave you behind when it comes to to injury uh, or to uh, uniform uh, uh, news. Never, ever, ever. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do that. It's going to be a fun off season. It it always is. But uh, you know, Jordan. But before before we wrap, there there was uh, another uh, piece of news that that came across. I don't know. I got the email. I thought maybe the email was like you know two or three weeks late, but apparently it wasn't. Um, but uh, the Rams did announce their uh, their coaching staff finally. The, the coaching staff uh, uh, this week. So I, I'm not going to run through the in, the entire list of names because that would be very boring. Uh, but it, not not a whole lot of changes there. We already knew most of them. Um, what grabbed you, uh, Jordan, as as you saw that? There's a couple of, of position changes. There's a couple uh, additions. There there always are. But uh, what what should the people know about when uh, when that list came out the other day? Yeah, um, if if you've been following along with the coverage over at theathletic.com, where we're currently running a $1 per month for new subscribers special, um, then you know about all of these, essentially. Um, I'm not sure why it took this long to officially announce these guys um, by, you know, by the team where they roll out the press release and the graphics. And they announced Liam Cohen a couple of weeks ago, and then he he hasn't spoken with um, with non in non Rams media yet, which is also a little head scratching, not really sure what's going on there. But it, it did take a little bit of time to officially announce these guys. And, and I think part of it, too, is um, there's so many moving parts right now, and the Rams. You know, when you win a Super Bowl like this, everything you have to do gets backed up, obviously, by several weeks. Yeah. While Sean McVay was was working the phones and and securing a lot of these guys, like immediately after that victory parade, um, it did take a while for some of this to get announced. And so that that was, you know, I think that that's just going to be a part of it if they if they work this late in the postseason, especially with the extended season. I think that will just be a part of it at times. So. You are everyone listening to this probably already knew based on, you know, our reporting from weeks and weeks and weeks ago that Thomas Brown is moving to uh tight ends coach and he is retaining his assistant head coach role. He hired Rashad Samples, who I think the staff is really excited about, really promising, bright, up-and-coming young coach. And Thomas Brown hired him to coach the running backs, which was Thomas's previous position before the uh, the Rams promoted or, uh, excuse me, rehired Liam Cohen as offensive coordinator, um, thus moving Thomas Brown um, into the tight ends role um, instead of keeping him at running backs coach. And uh, so the other promotion that was really interesting to me that I think and, and and again, like you guys know about the hire of Skylar Jones is uh, that was Eric Henderson's hire as assistant D line coach. He hired Marcus Dixon last year. Marcus Dixon is now the defensive line coach in Denver. So the, the Eric Henderson tree is is uh, alive and growing. Um, Greg Olson is back as an offensive assistant. Jake Peets is, is, is uh, an offensive ass- assistant. Jeremy Springer, that was a DeCamillis hire as a special teams assistant. Um, some of these offensive assistant roles, I think it's a going to be an expanded sort of quality control situation where they're not necessarily going to be position coaching or anything like that, but helping a lot with the design and the uh, sort of manifestation of, of the ways that they want to move this, this offense forward. Um, and then, so... Zach Robinson got a uh, a little bit of a title change. Now he's going to be adding the role of pass game coordinator to his previous role as at as quarterbacks coach. Um, and then Chris Shula also got not just a promotion, but also kind of a 
this this definitely stuck out to me was was the position change for Chris Shula. So if I can just kind of take you guys back through the offseason. So again, this is the week of the the Rams victory parade and Sean McVay is is getting his staff organized. And um, a lot of that, you also have to figure out who's got interviews elsewhere. And if you want to block them, then you block them. So Jonathan Cooley, who was the assistant defensive backs coach um, last year and the only uh, sort of holdover or the only guy who stayed under contract since uh, Aubrey Pleasant and Ijiro Evero left for their respective positions elsewhere, um, he had an interview for a higher ranking position with Minnesota. Um, now you can, coaches can block, uh, if it's not in a, into a coordinating role specifically, coaches can block that, that interview. Sean McVay did block Cooley from doing that interview and sort of thusly being brought into Kevin O'Connell's staff. And then, so you see now there was a bit of a, a, you know, a bit of a title change in terms of a, he's now called being called a defensive backs coach instead of assistant defensive backs coach. But then interestingly, they also moved. Sean McVay also moved Chris Shula over to the role of defensive backs coach, similarly um, to Jonathan Cooley, but also gave him the title of pa- defensive passing game coordinator. So a quick scan through the history of, of Shula Shula's time as an NFL or collegiate coach uh, shows that he has never coached this position in earnest in terms of specifically focusing on defensive backs. Now, he was a defensive coordinator at John Carroll, so you have an all-encompassing um, presence there, but he was uh, has been predominantly a linebackers coach. And so now he has moved into defensive backs coaching role, but also was promoted um, to defensive passing game coordinator as well. And so if you're looking at sort of an umbrella of roles there, um, that's a pretty high-ranking position. And so to me, that was really interesting considering the relative lack of experience there. And I think that this is going to be something very much to watch this year, Rich, because you have such a crucial space to navigate in that secondary right now. You have to replace Darius Williams. You might do it with one of Robert Rochelle or David Long, but those guys have a learning curve to jump up into. Like they have to develop and they have to really. Um, take steps forward in order to lock down that spot that Darius had locked down for the last two years opposite of Jalen Ramsey. You also have Jalen Ramsey, and you're going to continue to expand his role. And then you also have these young safeties, and it's so crucial to the team build that these young safeties, not only who you bring in, but also who you already have, they continue to expand their skill set and play early on in their rookie contracts. So I don't want to understate the importance of the people that you bring into this position. And I think it is a sort of a risk um, in this regard. And it's no offense meant to to anybody who, you know, this is a great group of coaches, but I do think it is a risk and a, and a bit of a, an interesting sort of eyebrow raising move here by Sean McVay um, to move Chris Shula into a position where the stakes are so high. And and I also think that um, you're going to see there be a lot of dependence on, um, you know, clearly on, on, on Jonathan Cooley, on some of their defensive assistants that they have back there. 
Um, because Cooley is the only now the only holdover from Brandon Staley's system in the first place. And that's part of the reason why Sean McVay has blocked him from interviewing from these places. But I just felt, I just think it's, it's, um, the hierarchy of the roles and then the sort of the high stakes and the risk that now is involved in this decision. Um, to me, this is going to be one of quietly. And I think on a beat level, because we do monitor these day to day things, um, this will be something to keep an eye on moving forward um, in terms of its progress and and um, how they sort of meet that moment. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting like the 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 why of it, and you do see coaches change. Uh, it's certainly not unprecedented to say somebody moves from one position to another, but I mean Chris Shula's background, he played linebacker, and by the way, a college teammate of Sean McVay. They've been friends for uh, a very long time, colleagues. Uh, Sean McVay obviously brought Chris Shula over when he uh, got hired in 2017, um, but, but this is a, a dramatic and, and quick shift. I mean, Chris Shula, like you mentioned him being a defensive coordinator before, so it's not like there's a unfamiliarity with with that position, uh, but he's coached linebackers exclusively whereas you look at Jonathan Cooley who's a still a young guy too but but he has a track record he played defensive back every at every stop he's made in in college uh, lower colleges and bigger colleges he's coached defensive backs and so he certainly has that experience and he's certainly somebody who the Rams who Sean McVay thought highly enough of that that he blocked that interview uh, pre- prevented him from uh, from moving on to a different position but but yet uh, you know they they saw the need to to move somebody over who's never coached that position before uh to um to fill that role so again when we talk about these things it's it's like uh you know it's it's not equivalent but it's when you know when i when i mentioned my criticism of the robert woods trade it's not that i think this is destined to fail and i don't think that's what right. either one of us are saying it's just that it's something to, it's something to keep an eye on it's it's a curious decision and curious does not mean bad curious does not mean doomed to fail it doesn't mean any of those things it's it's just something that i think we're going to be watching jordan as you noted at a position that that is going to be very important for the rams and and to see how that develops, uh, I, I think is probably when you look at this list of coaches and this list of of uh, or these these series of changes that were made. I think it's the most interesting, and I will again use the word curious uh, of the changes. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree with you on the latter point, and I also think I, I do want to remark too that like it, it's kind of what you said. Curious doesn't mean bad. Like I'm not going right. to sit there and and you know I'm when the Robert Woods trade happens, I don't sit there and and say. Um, this is destined to implode the roster. Like I don't, you you guys know right. Rich and I both well enough. I think at this point to know that we're not really exaggeratory takes people. Um, we like to assemble the facts and see where that takes us. And so this, you know, we're not. Con- I, I would say I, I hope I I think I speak for both of us. Like we're not condemning no. hiring decisions before these people have had a chance to actually develop into their roles. And right. and I, but I just think. I do think that the this is one of the there are I would say two that really stick out on this staff assembly that really were surprises to me. Uh, well, not su- I won't I won't go so far as to say surprises, but right. really were I think um, eye catching. Eye catching, yeah, that's a yeah. good way to put it. Um, eye catching in that regard, and I think that this is one of them. In that you really this is a, this is a risk, but at the same time. 
This is also something, these are the exact types of conversations that they're having um, internally in terms of weighing that risk and measuring that risk. So mm-hmm. wh- whether, you know, it, if we sound like we're being hypercritical, that's not necessarily the case. We're talking ourselves through the same exact process that the people who are making these decisions are also talking themselves through. And I think that um, this is going to be one of those circumstances where um, – you see too, and and I talked about the schedule that these this uh, the staff has been on. This is also um, a lot of things had to happen in a very short amount of time for right. this team. Right. Um, whether it what has been free agency, whether it's been the the combine and the draft process, whether it's been staff changes. This is they have weeks and weeks less time than a team normally would to make sure that they're getting everything ready to go by the start of the league year. And I think that puts a strain on people. And I I do wonder how it affects decision-making. So that's going to be a dynamic post-Super Bowl. This is what um, a couple of our Eagles beat writers were were messaging me about earlier. It's really mm. important to track every single thing that happens right now. <laughs> I mean, you saw yeah, yeah. you saw that the way the Eagles sort of veered off a cliff after the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And I don't think that that's something that happens to the Rams, but at the same time, it all comes down to a series of details and a lot of different small decisions that are maybe not being scoped at a national level, but certainly are being monitored and, and looked at by people who do follow the, day, the day-to-day details and and all of the little patterns um, and juxtapose those against a foundation of knowledge that they have to that point. And I think that that's going to be really um, interesting and I, and I would say professionally exciting over the next couple of weeks and months is to see and to to track how all of these decisions, not just the hiring, but the the free agency period and um, the trades and, and all kinds of things and the draft, how all of these things start to manifest um, because this team is trying to repeat and they're trying to do something that is nearly impossible to do in a league that's designed to pull everyone toward parity. And I think yeah. that that's going to be this, this really fascinating process for them moving forward. Yeah, and it, it is important. And people might hear this and oh, why why are you nitpicking like a you know a position coach? But it's it's almost like it's the same thing we talk about with the roster, right? I mean, you you look at the big stuff, and the big stuff is important. But it's it's the it's the little things, you know. It's it's the it's the bottom of the roster, or the middle of the roster decisions that really end up making the difference. And that can be the same case with the with the coaching staff too. And these are important positions. These are important people uh, who really help you know build that roster build this team build a championship so you do pay attention to it and and you know there's there's going to be a lot of attention paid to it uh, uh, and and Sean McVay's had to make a lot of moves uh, because you know other teams have poached his his assistant coaches that's a product of your success but uh, people are going to look at you know what what types of hires are you making how how are you dealing with the people on your staff who want to take steps forward uh, either internally or externally how are those situations being handled. Uh, these these are these things don't happen in a vacuum. And I know I'm not telling you something you don't know, Jordan, but uh, just just so people know, like uh, around the league, these are things that really get looked at and and will be seen mm-hmm. uh, with, with a critical eye. So uh, again, we're we're at we're at step one of, of what is going to be a marathon here in in terms of how all of this plays out. But but it is certainly something interesting to track and and to watch. Yeah. And as you see, I mean, as we're talking, I think back, you know, there are conversations happening uh, a year ago in training camp about whether you also keep Traven Howard on your roster. 
Yeah. Um, and it turns out it's a freaking good thing you did, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and so those, and it, at the time, it seems like such a little conversation, a part of so many more conversations. But you can see what the butterfly effect is from such from a, a decision that maybe seems small or is buried in the middle or or near the end of a uh, of a uh, released graphic that happened that's put out by the team yep. um, seven weeks after the initial decisions are made. Like things are <laughs> things that can be buried by things. Right can end up being really, really important. And it is going to be interesting. And then that's what I said. I mean, I'm, I'm spanning the entirety of, um, of this entire off-season process for them. The little details could end up being so important. I do think that they know that. I think that these yeah. are uh, – it's a group of very smart people who are making these decisions. Right. Um, I do think that they are fully aware of that. But the ripple effect, you saw it, how important when you are in an ecosystem that is as fragile as the one they've created that can produce such results if it's functioning correctly but also creates this pressure and compounding of uh, of space behind it. Um, that is something that happens. These small details become very large ones indeed. And that's why, Jordan, we are so lucky to have you on this beat. And I include myself in that as, a, as an avid reader of everything that you, that you produce, uh, because all these things are going to be covered in amazing detail for the rest of this calendar year. Um, I feel bad, Jordan, because it never ends. The wheel never stops spinning, as we say here. Uh, but you do such a fantastic job of covering it. And yeah, we are right back into it, folks, because like we said, OTAs will be starting very soon, at least the off-field uh, portion of it. The draft well, for most teams, the draft starts on April 28th, with the Rams always a little bit fashionably late will be coming in uh, the next day to to start their draft process. So um, can't wait for all of this. We're going to be here for you, of course, uh, to cover all of it. Jordan is always there for you on Twitter, at Jordan Rodrigue. Please don't hit her with too many uniform questions. You can send those to <laughs> me, at Rich underscore Hammond. I promise you we'll get to the bottom of this sooner <laughs> rather than later. We Maybe we'll have a special guest to talk about it all. Who knows? But Jordan, people can follow you on Twitter, of course, but what they really should be doing, if they haven't already, is becoming subscribers to The Athletic. And they can do that if they haven't already. The best way to do it is by going to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. You can sign up today, catch up on all of Jordan's great work, look forward to what's coming, and make Jordan very happy because you will be getting her favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount. You guys, still, it's still happening. They haven't found us out yet. This is fantastic. Wow. Every time Woo. you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Um, we have seen uh, our audience expand by uh, the, you know, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you as we've continued through this incredible season. And now we're starting this year all over again. I hope you guys will be with us every step of the way because we sure love to hear from you and we sure love knowing that you're out there listening to us and um, we'll catch you very soon. 